0: This is an article that's not not especially spiritual, but it's got a good message. And I thought I'd just read it to you. Um, I, I feel like I'm you know I'm getting a little older all the time, and many of us are. and this is this is entitled "All Saturdays should Be Special." Anybody catch that off the internet? all all Saturdays should be Special. Listen to this. The older I get, the more I enjoy Saturday mornings. This guy reports. Perhaps it's the quiet solitude that comes with being the first to rise, or maybe it's the unbounded joy of not having to be at work. Either way, the first few hours of Saturday morning are most enjoyable. A few weeks ago, I was shuffling toward the basement shack with a steaming cup of coffee in one hand and the morning paper in the other. What began as a typical Saturday morning turned into one of those lessons in life that uh, seems to be handed to you from time to time. Let me tell you about it. I turned up the dial uh, upon into the phone portion of the band on my ham radio in order to listen to a Saturday morning swapnet, guys talking back and forth. Along the way, I came across an older-sounding chap with a tremendous signal and a golden voice, probably like Jimmy's. You know, the kind he sounded like he should be in the broadcasting business. He was telling whoever he was talking with something about a thousand marbles. A thousand marbles. I was intrigued and stopped to listen to to what he had to say. And he said, well, Tom, it sure sounds like you're busy with your job. I'm sure they pay you well, but it's a shame you have to be away from your home and your family so much. It's hard to believe a young fellow should have to work 60 to 70 hours a week to make ends meet. Too bad you missed your daughter's dance recital last week. He continued, let me tell you something, Tom. Something that's helped me to, to keep a good perspective on my own priorities. This is the older gentleman speaking. And that's when he began to explain his theory of a thousand marbles. You see, I sat down one day and did a little arithmetic. The average person lives about 75 years. I know some live more, some live less, but on the average, folks live about 75 years. Now then I multiplied 75 times 52 and came up with 3,900, which is the number of Saturdays that the average person has in their entire lifetime. Now stick with me, Tom, I'm getting to the important part. It took me until I was 55 years old to think about this in any detail. And by that time I'd lived over 2,800 Saturdays. I got to thinking that if I lived to be 75, I only had about a 1,000 of them left. So I went to the toy store and I bought every single marble they had. I ended up having to visit three toy stores to round up a 1,000 marbles. I took them home and put them inside a large clear plastic container right here in the shack next to my gear every Saturday since then, I've taken one marble out and thrown it away. I found that by watching the marbles diminish, I focused more on the really important things in life. There's nothing like watching your time here on this earth run out to help get your priorities straight. Now let me tell you one thing before I sign off and take my lovely wife out for breakfast. This morning, I took the last marble out of the container. I figure if I make it until next Saturday, then I've been given a bonus. I've been given some extra time. And the one thing we can all use is a little more time. It's it's nice to meet you, Tom, and I hope you spend more time with your family. And I hope to meet you here on the band. Clear and going, QRT, good morning. Goes on to say you could have heard a pin drop on the band when this fellow signed off. I guess he gave us a lot to think about. I had planned to work the antenna that morning. The guy who listens goes on to say, and I had a few things to do with the ham radio, but instead instead I went upstairs, woke up my wife with a kiss, and said, come on, honey, I'm taking you and the kids to breakfast. What brought this on? She asked with a smile. "Uh, Nothing special. It's just been a long time since we spent a Saturday together with the kids. Hey, can we stop at the toy store while we're out? I need to buy some marbles. Have a great weekend, and may all the Saturdays be special. Don't forget to heed the wisdom of the old man who has lost his marbles. (laughs) Pretty good, isn't it? And I think you could make applications spiritually to that story, but uh, we do need to prioritize our our time. And for the Christian... Certainly those activities which involve in our growth and in our worship and in our evangelizing, those things are so important. Missions, other areas of our lives that God calls us to. Okay, let's look at Jonah. Chapter 3. I'm going to read the 10 verses and then uh, talk about uh, them and some other things that uh, I want to share with you. And um, we always stop on time, so you don't have to worry about watching your watch. I've got mine working. And we'll be leaving here at a quarter till. Chapter three, verse one through 10. <clears throat> now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. You remember it came the first time and he disobeyed it. But it came the second time and it said, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and preach to it the message that I tell you. We've already talked about the fact that Jonah hated the Ninevites. He didn't wanna go there, but he says, go there again. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth, from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, And he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone... Turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And then in verse 9 he says, who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way and God relented. That was the question that we left with you last week. Does God change his mind? Does God relent? It says, God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not, he did not do it. Now, we hope to get to that verse, and I think you'll find some very interesting things in that that verse about God and who God is. But let's go back to verse 1 and see there that God is a God of second chances. Sometimes third, sometimes four, sometimes five, sometimes six. But God is a God who gives us other opportunities. I don't think you who are in the corporate world, men or women, find that to be true. Most of the time, one chance. And if you blow it, uh, you're out of here. You're gone. Most of the time that's true in the corporate world. I can't say it's always true, but most of the time it's true. But God continues to give us second chances as he did Jonah. And I'm sure glad that he gave me a second chance and a third chance. I shared with you some of my testimony last week about the car accident that I was in when I said, "Let you know, I played, let's make a deal with God, get me out of this situation. And he did. I still didn't trust him. I still wasn't a Christian. I was religious, but I wasn't a Christian. And then my saw accident and in both those situations, as that car was rolling, and as I was dealing with the blood and all the stuff with my finger, both times I was thinking about God. And I wasn't a Christian. But that's the first thought that came to my mind. And I cried out to myself, you know, get me out of it. Let's make a deal. Give me, a, give me another chance. Just another chance, God. One more chance. And he did. Uh, there's a lot of uh, experiences or examples in the Scripture where there were multiple chances. One of the, one of the ones I like the best is the one involving Samuel. If you don't know the story of Samuel, he was given uh, to God by his mother because she didn't believe she would ever have child. And so when Samuel was born, he was given to God. He was assigned uh, to work at, uh, with the priest Eli. You may know about Eli, and that's where he served. And while he was there very early as a young man, God made calls upon his life. And it happened on a, probably a Saturday night that God called him several times. He'd run to the priest. Eli saying, Did you call me? And he's, No, I didn't call you. And on about the third time, Eli said, uh, You do this. The next time you receive the call, say, Speak, Lord, your servant hears you. And so he went back to sleep. Samuel did. And sure enough, God called him again. And he responded in exactly that way Speak, Lord. Your servant hears. And that was the beginning of faith commitment for Samuel. Samuel, as you read in First and Second Samuel and other chapters or other books in the Bible, was a tremendous man of God. But he got his first chance, his second chance, his third chance. How many did you get? And maybe you're here tonight and, and uh, you're still waiting. Well, God's calling you. And if God calls you, he wants to call you to himself. And he wants you to come. Uh, by grace, through faith, trusting in Christ alone. That's the way that you come to faith in Jesus Christ. But uh, the, the first verse also says the word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came to him. So our, the whole character of a man in light of eternity depends upon the reception that a man gives to the word of God. And you that know Jesus, you responded. He called You responded. And uh, isn't it a tremendous thing to be born again into the family of God? Now look at verse 2. And it talks about going to Nineveh, that great city. Um, I thought about why God keeps mentioning that great city uh, to Jonah. And I think he wanted to, to set in the mind of Jonah... That you've got some difficult work ahead. This is not going to be easy, Jonah. You've already turned away from them once and me. And this is not going to be easy. This is a great city. God knew he was afraid. God knew he had fear. And you've got a difficult thing to do, Jonah. But I think he was trying to set in Jonah's mind, it would not be his strength or his qualifications that would carry him through but that it would be God working supernaturally through him that would carry him through. And it's it's so true that in our weakness, God makes us strong. I don't know how many of you like devotionals like this. Pastor put me on this book, and I've read it through. I think I'm about the third time through on it. And it's a it's a wonderful little devotional book. They're they're not very lengthy. I think this was done in the 1600s or so by Fenelon. It's called Let Go. It's a tremendous book, and I want to read to you a paragraph about weakness bringing strength because it's so true. And I think that's what that's what God was trying to do with Jonah. Uh, don't go in your strength, Jonah. Go in go in my strength. You go as a weak vessel, and I'll give you the strength. Listen to this. In, um, and when this fenelon does this devotional book, they're in letters. So this is a little letter. But it's amazing how you can almost take it personal from day to day. I'm amazed I'll read it on a Wednesday or a Thursday. Uh, uh-oh, how did he know? How did God know this? And it's just like God is speaking to me. Well, this is the paragraph. In this time of physical weakness, I pray that you may, that you may become more and more aware of your spiritual weakness. Not that I want you to remain weak, for while the the Lord ministers healing and strength to your body, I pray that he will also minister strength to your soul and that weakness will finally be conquered. But you need to understand that you cannot become strong until first you are aware of your weakness. You hear that? You cannot become strong until first you are aware of your weakness. It is amazing how strong we can become when we begin to understand what weaklings we are. It is in weakness that we can admit our mistakes and correct ourselves while confessing them. It is in weakness that our minds are open to enlightenment from others. It is in weakness that we are authoritative in nothing and say the most clear cut things with simplicity and consideration for others. In weakness, we do not object to being criticized and we easily submit to censure. At the same time, we criticize no one without absolute necessity. We give advice only to those who desire it, and even then we speak with love and without being dogmatic. We create from a desire to help, we speak from a desire to help, rather than for a desire to create a reputation for wisdom. It's good. In our weakness, God is made strong. And God wanted to point that out to Jonah. Um, And I find out that God deals with me the same way that he deals with Jonah. And he probably does the same with you because he calls us to count the cost. It's not going to be easy, this Christian walk. And if we don't realize that much of the Christian walk is supernatural, we miss out on the power. I'm not talking about hocus pocus or, or anything magical. I'm talking about the supernatural work of God in our life and we need that supernatural power that comes from only him because if we go out in our wisdom if we go out in our strength we accomplish very little the guys in here who who speak men or women, uh, you know this you can be perfectly prepared and you think that you've got everything down to speak to a group and fall flat on your face it's happened to me, I don't want it to But it happens to me. And when it happens, I learn a lesson. I've gone in what I thought was my strength instead of going in the weakness, my weakness, which should be obvious to most of us. But in our weakness, God is made strong. In our weakness, God takes over and God does supernatural things in and through our lives. So it's just like this book says, we gotta let go and let God. We have to abandon ourselves to him. And when we do, when we present ourselves helpless before God and say, God, you're going to have to do it, then watch out. Because God will do something, I think, fantastic in your life. Okay, well, he also says in verse 2, to preach the message that I will tell you. God wants him to preach the message that he'll tell him. And he wants Jonah to go in obedience. And we see that throughout the scripture. Abraham... Uh, was told by God, go to the land, I'll show you. Go obediently. Jeremiah was said, was told, "Uh, you go speak. I'll put the words in your mouth. Uh, Go in obedience. Uh, Isn't it wonderful when God gives us the words to speak? Now let's look at three and four and let me read those to you again. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was a great city, three day journey. Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now look at what moves Jonah the word of the Lord. Nothing else is moving him. He's weighed with that. He's weighed with the Lord. He tried to to get away, he tried to run. When he heard the word Assyrians or Nineveh, it sent great fear through him. But now he lives by the word of the lord and oh how great it is to live by principles of faith i don't know how many of you um, saw television this week the article or that dateline about the guy who did the trek in australia anybody catch it see a hand delane's on mr bolton yeah there are a few wasn't that something didn't you sense that something supernatural was happening in that guy's life if if you if you don't know about it, he was he was living totally by faith. Um, he was a young he's an American that had had desired to be in a situation where he could see the supernatural work of God in his life, and so he went down to Australia, and he got on a bike and he got some food and some provisions, not very much, and he took off on what would be a 400 mile trip. Uh, now it was it was through the outback. But it's a desert area. But it wasn't, it wasn't a desert area like the Sahara. It was a desert area that had... There was some grass and there were some bushes. There were some things around. I don't think it was near as hot. But still going 400 miles. Well, somehow, they couldn't find him. He came up missing. And so, his parents... Uh, sent out search parties and paid for search parties to try to find him and they gave up. They saw his tracks for a while then they couldn't find him so they gave up. Then someone heard about it from the United States and they sent down more equipment even um, bulldozers and um, vans and jeeps and all kinds of things trying to find this guy because he continues to be missing and this group who had gone out before and found people said at this point in time we usually find them but they're dead. They're going to be dead. He's going to be dead. That's what we anticipate. Well, the news crews in Australia picked up the story and provided a helicopter. And so the helicopter was going with the search party. And they got up to 30 days. And they got up to 35 days. And they would see tracks, and uh, but not him. And then the tracks got to be less and less. And hysteria, instead of covering some 25 days, 25 miles a day, it got down to just a little bit. They knew he was struggling. Then they saw rocks, which said help. He'd written with rocks. Help. They still didn't find him. They found him on the 40th day. On the 40th day, just walking. Sixty pounds lighter. But he heard heard the helicopter. He heard everything that was coming. But he's still he's just walking. And then they talk to him, and he and he says things like he'd been without food for how many days? 20 days, 10 days, a, a large amount of time. Time. He had gone several days without water. He had taken his hands and dug through the sand, six foot deep, to come up with water that was muddy to drink. And then he found a large supply of water. And he just stayed there and drank. He had spent seven days in one spot, just praying and talking to God and crying, as he had this quest for God. And it was just, it was just tremendous. And one of the things you remember that he said when they interviewed him, he said, I went there to find God, but I found out you can find him anywhere you want to, that he He is everywhere. And it just, just watching how, how his faith had grown through, grown through this experience was just, was really something. It's one of the best things I've ever seen on television. So exciting times. All right. Back to the text. You ever wonder how Jonah got his crowds, how he drew his crowds? Because because he obviously did. There, they mentioned 120,000 people in this city plus because some think it just means the adults, not including the children. So he got at least 120,000. And he gets the word out in a short period of time to 120,000 people. Now, he doesn't have, he doesn't have what we have here. He's got no sound system. He's, there's no amplifiers. There was no advertisement. He didn't build a big tent. He didn't have anybody to come in and, and provide entertainment to draw the crowd. He didn't have any great singers or musicians. He had absolutely no gimmicks, and yet the word got out. Now again, God was working supernaturally. I realize that, but I, I started thinking about what we we mentioned last week about those two men that are there. It's been recorded about who were in the in in a a whale and a shark for 48 hours. And we know Jonah was was in there 72 hours. Three days and three nights. And you remember me telling you how they described that man that they had on display in England? All right. He had no hair, no hair, no bodily hair anywhere, and he had patches all over his body. I wonder what it was like when Jonah stood before the people that would I think looking at him would draw me just just looking at how he must have looked and 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 then he didn't want to be there but but he begins to speak and we we know what he said he said 40 days and Enfis shall be overthrown he said that for sure but also don't you kind of think he might have said I tried to run from God um, it didn't work I tried I tried to get away and he found me uh, don't you think he told them what it was like To get thrown into the sea And he had to be thrown in the sea uh, What it was like To be swallowed by that great fish His fears all those things And then look at him Look at this guy I don't know about you but when I hear a testimony like that I I give him my undivided attention And of course God was working Supernaturally too but He didn't have a problem at all uh, Getting their attention And it went out to 120,000 people plus. So that's amazing. Also, in the scripture where it talks about a sign, it says that for as Jonah has become a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. So Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites. How he looked was also a sign to them. Okay, verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on a sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Notice that they believed, they fasted, and then they put on sackcloth. And as a consequence of of trusting God, they declared those things and did those things. And we're told, we're taught that in the ancient world, this was their way of expressing grief, humility, and penitence. through putting on the sackcloth. If you don't know what sackcloth is, it's a thick, coarse uh, cloth made from goat's hair. Uh, The wearing symbolizes rejection of earthly comforts and pleasures. And uh, look at the Ninevites' response. Unanimous. Unanimous. I don't know. We'd have to ask our scholars, Richard or Jim or Dr. Young, is this the greatest revival ever? You know, was this? Unanimous. Look at the number of people that responded to the message from Jonah. It wasn't 5%. It wasn't 50%. It was unanimous. It was total response. Every class of society, everyone's humbling themselves before God. Look at verses 6 to 9 and you see the public, the general, the royal, and even the king setting the example wouldn't that be wonderful if the leaders of our government could set the example, declare a fast, tell us to put on sackcloth, tell us to pray, um, that we would do what Second Chronicles says. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and see God's face and repent and, and hear from heaven, then I would forgive their sins and heal their land. This is a national thing happened in the city of Nineveh. And what a change took place. This wicked, violent, bloody city is going through tremendous changes. Now, we get to the last verse. And this is where I want to finish up because as I challenged you last week, we talked about does God change? Does God ever change his mind? Look at verse 10. Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. I'm not real good with big words but I want to throw out a big word to you and then hopefully that big word will help explain to you what happened here and what happens in the Bible in a lot of places where you sense that What is in the Bible is a relenting of God, a repenting of God, uh, a situation where God changes his mind. And that word is anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism. I know it's a big word, but it's not that hard to understand. It's a noun, and it's it's an ascription of human qualities to God. It's an ascription of human qualities saying these human qualities apply to God. Uh, J. Vernon McGee says this. It's ascribing to God an attribute that belongs to man in order that man will understand. So you've got eyes. How many places in the scripture do you read them talking about God's eyes? Uh, Here is one, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro, throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. But the question is, does God have eyes? Are they like mine? Are they brown? Are they blue? Are they like yours, Hazel? Does he have contacts? Does God have eyes? Absolutely not. Why? Because God is a spirit. God does not have eyes. But listen to this. The one who made the eye can see amen the one who has made your eyes can certainly see and he cannot see and he cannot see without the benefit of eyes so god knew that would be difficult for you and me to understand so he ascribed an attribute of man to help us understand that's anthropomorphism Let me give you another one. Uh, I really like this one. This is in Isaiah. It speaks about his arms. Uh, Isaiah 53, 1. Uh, When Isaiah was speaking of God's salvation and his redemption, he said, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the bared arm of the Lord revealed? does God have arms? No. But it's for our understanding because it teaches us that God in this particular situation rolled up his sleeve. And it's symbolic of a tremendous undertaking. Now listen to this. In creation it said that God did it with his handiwork which is another word for doing it with your fingers. When God created this world, all of the, that he created in six days, he did it as handiwork, like simply with his fingers. And Dr. T. DeWitt Talmage said that God created the heaven and earth without much effort. He merely spoke them into existence. And when he rested on the seventh day, he wasn't tired. He had just finished his work. But look at this passage that I just read to you. Something tremendous happened when he redeemed you and me it wasn't that easy it wasn't as easy as creation he had to roll up his sleeves he had to bear his arm for salvation was the greatest undertaking that we see in the christian faith don't you think so salvation what you and i have And a lot of people object to this offer of salvation, about it being free. But if this means for man it was free, that's correct. But don't say it was free because God gave up everything. It cost everything of God to provide for you and me the salvation we have. He had to bear his own arms. He had to roll up his sleeve. He gave his son to die on the cross for us. And it's the task that only God could perform. Salvation's free, but it's not cheap. It cost God everything. He had to work at it. He had to roll up his sleeve. So you see, that's what it means when you see the, these type of things from God. And this is that's what it means here when you see the relent. Relent or repent. God did not change his mind. But so we could understand it, he used that term. And he used a term that's understandable to man to present to us the fact that he didn't change his mind. Why can't God change his mind? Because of immutability. He's immutable. God changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He never changes his mind, but he oftentimes uses those examples. So let me close by looking at this. When Jonah came to Nineveh, Nineveh had two options. They could reject God's message and simply ignore it. They could say, we're a strong nation. We're taking these other countries and these other cities anytime we want to. We move in like a mob and we take them over. Uh, This God can't stop us. They could have simply ignored it. And if they had, God would have destroyed it. God would have judged it. The second option they had was to accept God's message. Repent and turn to God. And if they did, God would deliver them. So who changed? God didn't change. The Ninevites changed. They changed and they repented. They came in. Total city came to God. By faith. Now, were all those good conversions? What do you think? Do you think all 120,000 of these conversions that supposedly took place were good ones? That's another place to study next week uh, because that's a lot of people, 120,000. Were they all Holy Spirit conversions? Did all those people mean business? Well, we'll look at it next week along with some other problems that jonah's going to have after all of this that he experiences he's still not through with god he's still not through complaining uh he's still not through with objecting to what god has done and he's going to try one last stand he wants to get his way you think he'll get his way he's not going to get his way but he's going to try and uh, we're going to find out that God, when He's through with Jonah, does a great work. Now, here, let me. Before I pray, let's learn this from Jonah. Let's let's don't be hardheads, so to speak. Let's don't let's don't keep batting our heads against God, because He ain't going to lose. And what God says He's going to do, He's going to do. So let's be pliable. Let Him work in our lives to to do His good pleasure. Uh, let's don't be like Jonah. All right, let's pray. Well, our Father, we thank you that you have ways of explaining things that are far beyond our ability to understand. And uh, Lord, we thank you that even in this story of Jonah, you use this uh, anthropomorphism uh, to show us that that uh, Nineveh is the one who changed their mind, not you, that you're immutable, that you change not, that you're the same yesterday today, and forever. I don't know about the rest of my brothers and sisters, but that sure comforts me to know that I can trust you and uh, know that you're, you're always going to be the same and what you say in your word is exactly who you are. You are the great I am. That's what you told Moses. You said, Moses, I am. And uh, Lord, we love you tonight. And we thank you for being so good to us. And uh, we pray you would continue to bless our church Uh, the ministries that are here, encourage the people, Lord, help them to see that they're a part of something that has real kingdom possibilities by reaching an unchurched world through maturing believers. We pray you dismiss us with your blessing, and Lord, that uh, uh, we would strive to know you better in the week to come. Be with our pastor, Jimmy, as he uh, has a little bit of time away uh, today, and uh, Lord, bless him in his uh, rest. And we would ask you that you might uh, really uh, give him good night's rest each night when he lays his head down. We know, Lord, that you've uh, got a young man there who knows and teaches the truth like not too many people we know, but he gets wound pretty tight. And we just pray that you'd allow him to relax and to let go and, uh, Lord, get his rest from night to night. Uh, Thank you for the staff that's assembled here. Thank you for the people who serve with us. And, Lord, we just think we've just got a little bit of uh, your kingdom here at Gracie Fan, and we thank you for that. Dismiss us with your blessing. We thank you, praise you in Christ's name. Amen.